Uh, William Randolph Hearst was a, a famous publisher of newspapers across America. He was also a great art collector. And he was reading through a book. He found out about a certain piece of art that he thought he absolutely had to have. And so he commissioned one of his agents to scour the world to find this piece of art. And the agent went everywhere trying to find where this art might be, who might have it, and how he could purchase it at any sum for Mr. Hurst. Finally, he came back with the report. I found the art. Mr. Hurst said, where did you find it? He said, it is in your warehouse. He had it the whole time. And when Paul is in, writing us in the book of Ephesians, that's really what he's saying. You've got this precious work in your lives. What I'm trying to tell you about is not something you don't have. What I'm trying to convince you is to see what you do have. And so today as we go back into Ephesians 1, let me just review a little bit of what we have seen. First of all, Paul has told them how rich they are. Here are the riches that you have in Christ. And then Paul has said he's afraid that they will miss out. This is his fear. They've got all these wonderful things in Christ, but like William Randolph Hearst, they've got it in their possession, but they don't have it in their sights. He wants them to see it, embrace it, enjoy it. You ever missed out on something that you really regret years later? Let me tell you a couple of my regrets. When, when I was in high school, we lived in Delray, right close to Eastbrook Shopping Center. And at Garrett Coliseum, my senior year of high school, Elvis Presley performed. And I had a chance to go, and I didn't go. And to this day, every time I ride by Garrett Coliseum, I still think of how dumb I was to have missed out on that opportunity. Anybody else here miss out on that, that Elvis performance? And then I think another time in my life when I moved to Pensacola, Florida, I'd just been there a few days, and this lady that I didn't really know very well called me on the phone and she said, buddy, I have arranged it for you to fly with one of the Blue Angels. It, it, I was not an Air Force guy, I didn't know much about it. I said, I'm sorry, I already have an appointment. Yes, that was a bad move, wasn't it? All right? You look back in your life, or there's some things you missed out on that you shouldn't have missed out? Maybe even some serious things? Maybe some time you should have spent with your children, but you were so busy with your career, or so busy with your sports, that somehow you missed out on some important time? That's what Paul's afraid of with these people at Ephesus. That they may miss out on what God has already given them. And so he knows, here's the next point, that the only answer is for God to intervene. Uh, the Apostle Paul understands this. The Apostle Paul was a persecutor, a murderer of Christians. And it took God intervening in his life as Saul, striking him blind for him to finally see. And so he knows for these Christians to see, God's got to intervene. So the only answer is for him to pray. So he prays. And so we're invited in this great section of Scripture where Paul just burst out in these prayers that they will understand what they have. You've heard the story of the, the church meeting. It was a business meeting, and there were some issues going on in the church, and it went on for hours and hours, and people were debating back and forth, and things were getting a little bit angry, and 
tempers were beginning to be lost. And, and finally, in the middle of not getting anywhere, one brother said, we need to pray about this. And the preacher, before he could catch himself, says, has it come to that? For, for Paul, my friends, it has come to that. He wants them to get it so bad that he breaks out in prayer for them. So open your Bible, if you have it, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start reading right there in the middle of that book in verse 15. Listen to what Paul prays. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. First of all, Paul says, I am so thankful that you guys are saved and you are acting like saved people. You're loving your father and you're loving each other. But then he says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul says, I'm glad you're saved, but there's more to it than just being saved. I want you to have the wisdom to live out everything God's had for you. What is wisdom? Wisdom is simply the practical ability to act on what you know. Paul says, I've told you what you should know. Now I want you to act on it. And then he also says there, I want you to have the spirit of revelation. Some translations say there, I want you to have insight. A good word, I think, here is a a word, Paul wants them to have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, part of what he does is he illuminates, he enlightens, he gives you insight into the truth of God. When you study the Word of God on your own, you don't study on your own, literally. You study with the help of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is praying is, is when you hear these truths from God, I want you to have a revelation of who you are. And then he really gets into the prayer in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength he used when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and who every name is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What an incredible prayer. I hope today part of our goal is to learn to pray this prayer for one another. We, we talk about the power of intercessory prayer. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for each other. I'm telling you, my friends, this is what we ought to pray for each other. Now, here's the key, I think, to this passage. And you find it in verse 17. And here's the way the message translation puts it. I do more than think, I ask. What's that saying? Paul says, I am so thankful that you have come to know Christ. I'm so thankful that you're saved. I'm so thankful that you're on your way to heaven. But, but I got to ask for more for you than just that. Write this down. It's not enough to know you're saved. 
you need to know some other things. Paul's excited about that. He's thankful for that. But that is not the ultimate goal. Think about us sometimes, friends. Sometimes we say, well, why are you a Christian? Well, I want to go to heaven. Why do we do children's ministry? We want to get our children to heaven. I understand that. I agree with that. I know that's part of what we're trying to do. But if that's all you see, Paul says, you're missing out on something. There's more to this life than just getting yourself to heaven. There's more than just saying, I'm at point A, heaven is point B. Somehow I'm an endure between now and then, and I'm going to make it to heaven. Paul says, there's more to it than that. You know, we, we almost approach it like, okay, I, I, I know I need to become a Christian. And I know I want to go to heaven because I certainly don't want to go to hell. But, but I'm in, just going to have to endure this life, this miserable life with all these commandments and all these do's and don'ts and all these rules, and I'll make it to heaven. Paul says, listen to me, heaven's a nice go, but that is not the ultimate go. Jesus said, heaven's a good thing, but here on this earth, I want you to experience abundant life, life to the very fullest. I ask you, is your goal spiritually more than just to get to heaven? Well, Paul, what do you want us to know beside that? Well, let me give you some of the things that he says in this passage. I want you to know your wealth. I want you to know how rich you are right now. I like the way this translation puts it. I want you to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life. I want you to hold it tight. I want you to grasp it. See, what what scares me about me and sometimes about all of us, and I think what made Paul afraid for the, the church at Ephesus is they had not quite grasped how good they had it right now. In the midst of this, he's talking about the hope that they have. That right now you have a joyful expectation of what God will do in your life. Guys, listen to me. Studies say as long as we have hope, we can endure anything this world passes through. The difference in us in this time on this earth and people who don't know the Lord is that we have hope. We do know about heaven. We do know there will be a day of perfection after World War II, there were a lot of orphan children that uh, we found when we crossed over into Germany. And, and we were trying to, to help them. But what we found out is they, they couldn't sleep. They had, they had suffered malnutrition so long that when they tried to put them down to sleep, they, they just couldn't sleep. And we finally found out they were afraid. And what they were fearful of is they didn't have an expectation there'd be food the next day. And so we found out what we had to do for those orphan children was to give them a piece of bread every night before they went to bed. Not to eat, but to hold. And what that piece of bread said to them is there's going to be food tomorrow. And Paul says, you need to know how rich you've got it right here in Christ. You've got that kind of hope that he has called you to. You've got the immensity of these riches that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Listen to me, friends. If you have Jesus this morning, you are, you're wealthy. A few years ago, I was blessed to go with my, my, my sons to, to Malawi, Africa, one of, I think, the second poorest country in the world. 
And we had an incredible time. And on the way back, I asked my boys, I said, what, what, what did you learn from this trip? And here's what they said. Uh, we were amazed that a group of people who had so little were so happy. They didn't have half the worries and concerns we had. They had so little. We would think they're destitute, yet they're joy. But I'm telling you today, my friends, no matter what you have or don't have, li- listen to me. If, if somehow life were to take away every possession you have today, you would still be rich. And Paul wants you to know about that. And second, he wants you to know your worth. Oh, I, I like what he says here, the hope to which he has called you. I love this line. He wants you to know his righteous people are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now, here's something I caught studying Ephesians I've never caught before. The inheritance Paul talks about here in Ephesians 1 is not our inheritance. It's God's inheritance. It's God who's on the receiving end of the great inheritance. And listen to me, we are it. Now, what does that tell you about how God feels about you? You're his inheritance. You're what he yearns for more than anything else. That friendship, that relationship that will reach its climax all through eternity. That's how God looks at you. You realize that this morning? God says, you know what, I, I've got, I, I'm a rich God. Well, what, what, are you, what, what are your greatest riches? Look in this room. These are my riches. This is my inheritance. That's how God views you. When we talk about worth, we often in America talk about self-worth. And I saw one study, and I thought this was absolutely correct, that the, how you determine your self-worth is how you think the significant others in your life view you. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say your self-worth is determined by how the significant others in your life see you. It's determined how you view they see you, how you interpret it. So if you're a child, it's, it's how your parents view you, how you view they view you. If you're a teenager, it might be your peers. If you're married, it might be your spouse. Here's the good news. If you make God the significant other in your life, you can know from this very passage how he views you. He views you as his riches and inheritance. And so no matter what anybody else may do, you can know what you're worth because of the way he looks at you. So he wants them to know their wealth, know their worth. He wants them to know their Savior. I want you to know your Savior. You see, listen to me, guys. Sometimes we do think, well, all this thing is, is about me being saved and going to heaven. Oh, my goodness. Please, please listen to me here. God wants so much more for you than just for you to go to heaven. He wants you to walk in a relationship with him right now. You know, when I was first saved and I came to Christ and I was baptized, I appreciated everything he did done for me. But what I didn't know at that moment is that he wanted a relationship with me. I knew he wanted me to, to do the do's and to avoid the don'ts. You see, for, for many of us, Christianity becomes just a bunch of, of rules. The do's and don'ts of Christianity. And, and the goal is for me to keep the do's and avoid the don'ts, and then I'm a real Christian. 
Let me, let, me, let me tell you, guys, God's got so much for you than that, more than that. He, 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 yeah, he doesn't want you to do the don'ts, and he would like you to do the do's. But what he wants it to come out of is a friendship with him. And then some of us go through Christianity where it's just a, a bunch of feelings. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just an emotion, you know. I just get the spiritual high, then I hit the spiritual low. It's just this up and down roller coaster. My friends, God wants more for you than that. You ever experienced that before in your life? Any of you ever been to summer Bible camp? Raise your hand. Have you ever fell in love at Summer Bible Camp? Raise your hand. Can anybody tell me how quickly that romance went? First day you meet her, second day you figure out each other's names, third day you pick out the names of your future children. I mean, it just, it just rocks, okay? And then when that week of camp is over, how long do you stay in touch? Anybody remember? Maybe a week, maybe two weeks. But, but, but it was such a high, and then it fades so quickly. And for many of us, Christianity, man, we, we grew what we thought out of the do's and don'ts to this just emotional relationship, and, and yet it fades so quickly. My friends, God wants more to you than just rules. He wants to be more to you than just this emotional roller coaster. He wants to have a friendship with you. He wants you to know him. I mean, look, look at the passage. It says there, I want you, go back to the slide right before that, all right? Don't try to beat my, beat my, my points, all right? Good. Am I not going fast enough? I understand. All right. No, he wants you to know him personally. Can we stop there for a moment? Is that not crazy? Is that not amazing? That God wants you on this earth to walk in a relationship with him where you listen to him and you talk to him and you interchange and you communicate and you grow together and wherever you are there, he's with you. And then let's go to this next point then. You need to know your calling. I like the way this passage says, know exactly what he has called you to do. Listen, if being saved was all it was about, then what God would have done is he would have zapped you out of this baptistry straight to heaven. But he's got work for you to do. He's got work for me to do. He has a calling over our life. You know, I I challenge you. What is your calling? If you want to really experience life to the fullest here, you need to know how God has wired you, how he's gifted you, and where he can use you. And l- listen to me. Listen, everybody look up. Listen, all right? When those things come together in your life, and you know what God has called you to do, and you're in that element, you're in that zone, as we would say, man, that's when you experience life to the fullest. Someone asked me a couple of days ago, said, when, when do you, were you most joyful in your life consistently? And I could look back to two times, they were long periods of time, that I knew I was exactly where I needed to be, doing exactly what God had called me to do. There's nothing like it. I, I, I always am touched by Jim McGuigan's quotation. He said, people are crying while they die. Not because they're dying, but because they don't know why they lived. My friends, in Christ, you know your calling. And then one more point here. You know your power. The incomparably great power for us. That word there for incomparably is surpassing profoundly. It's really the word where we get the word hyper. What's he saying? We've been given hyperpower in Christ. Oh my, 
In that short little passage we just read in that prayer, he uses four different Greek words for power. Here's, here's the words we get from him. Just pay attention. Dynamite, energy, might, and power. Paul wants them to know that they are not victims. They are victors. They are not helpless. They are powerful. We have that kind of power because we, so many of us, when we think the only goal is to make it to heaven, we think if I can just muddle through all the mess of this life. My friends, listen to me. God doesn't want you just to muddle through this. God wants you not, he wants you to thrive through it. He wants you to enjoy life to the fullest. And the reason you can do that is because he's given you incredible power. How incredible is this power? Listen to his illustration. It's the, listen, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave and seated him at the right hand of God. Did you hear that? You and I have the same power that took Jesus from the grave. We could even make a case. Took Jesus from hell, resurrected him, and ascended him back to heaven. That's the kind of power that we have. That's amazing. And here's what Paul's worried about. He's worried about you and I are going to go through life not recognizing that we have that kind of power. Too many of us spiritually are living on two or three cylinders where we've been given eight cylinders to live on. Why does God give us this power? He gives us this power so that we can conquer sin. He gives us this power so that we will have the boldness to know how to testify before other people. He gives us this power so that we can be an encourager to someone else. He gives us this power so we can get over ourselves and live a life that's meaningful and fulfilling. So let me say it again. It's not enough just to know you're saved. You can make it that way. And you'll get to heaven. But Paul says, please, open your eyes to more. Open your eyes to your wealth. Open your eyes to your worth. Open your eyes to to this relationship he wants to have with you. The calling that he has over your life. Find your place in the body of Christ. Open your eyes to the power he's given you. See, I don't want to wake up one day and go, I missed Elvis. (laughs) No, that's not much. Elvis was in the room and I missed him. No, 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 no. Here's here's what I don't want to wake up with. God was in the room and I missed him. I made it and muddled it to heaven, but I didn't experience everything he had for me. Now, what's the answer to this? We need to pray. We need to pray. I've asked our missions minister, Andy Johnson, if he would come up right now and if he would lead us in a prayer off this passage for our church. Let's all bow together and pray. Brothers and sisters of the Landmark Church, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I don't cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Let's go to the Father. Holy Father, we pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, would give us your spirit of wisdom and your spirit of revelation as we come to know you. Lord, we want to live lives that are always growing in our relationship with Jesus. We want to live lives that help us to lead others into this growing relationship with Jesus, but we need your wisdom to do this. We need you to reveal yourself to us, Lord. Father, we pray these things so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we would know what is the hope to which you've called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance among the saints? You see, Lord, our hearts are darkened. And we have an enemy who wants us to feel put upon. We have an enemy who wants us to feel dumped on. We have an enemy who does not want us to feel chosen. We have an enemy who wants us to feel fatherless, to feel unredeemed and unforgiven. But Lord, we know that in you, in Christ, you have lavished upon us the fact that we are chosen, that we are adopted, that we've been redeemed and forgiven. Lord, enlighten our hearts to see that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, to see that we have been set apart for your service. And Father, help us to know the immeasurable greatness of your power for us, those who believe, according to the working of your great power. Lord, let us claim that power this morning, this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow as we go to work or as we go to school. Let us live in that power, to live boldly, to know that we have been filled with the Spirit of the living God, that we have been set apart in Christ for good works that we do through your power. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, the one that you raised from the dead, the one that you seated at your right hand in the heavenly places, the one who is far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion, the one that's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. That's the beginning of our prayer time. In just a few minutes, uh, you have the opportunity for us to pray for you. And um, if there's something you want today, you know, I think in so many of us, we're sort of living the Christian life and we're going to church and we know we're going to heaven. But deep down, we know, we know there's got to be more. There's got to be more than what we're experiencing. There's got to be more peace and more joy and more fire and more enthusiasm. There's got to be more. And so today, if, if you need more, then we'd like to pray for you today. We'll just keep this prayer going. But let me make the, the take-home point for today. And here's the point that I think we've got to take away from, uh, from this lesson, is that we must change the way we pray I mean, what we need to do is, is, is we need to take this prayer of Paul's and, and we need to wear our Bible out with our fingers going over this prayer. Praying it for ourselves, praying it for our body, praying it for people that you know. You know, if, if we would embrace this kind of prayer, 
It would change our prayer life. I mean, it's so awesome every week as a staff when we get together to pray about the things that you write on this little slip in the bulletin. It's a powerful thing for our shepherds. It's a powerful thing for us. But I only imagine if we got this lesson, how many spiritual needs we'd be praying about. Oh, we love praying about your physical needs and your relatives' physical needs and, and their health, and we get an awful lot of that. That's not all we get, but we get a lot of that, and that's awesome. But, but how about if we prayed for more? How about if when you came in on Sunday morning, there was more of God that you wanted to experience, and you said, this is what I want to pray for. I, I've not lived this past week in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've not lived it with the joy. I've not been living the abundant life. You see, that would change our church's prayer life. That would change our individual prayer life as, as we would begin to pray a deeper and a more spiritual prayer. I want to ask you about your own prayer life. I know it's so easy in my life is just for whatever physical and emotional and financial and health needs are going on. I mean, my, I wake up immediately to start praying for those, and I'm, I'm glad I do. But I wonder, I, I really wonder what would happen if I started praying like Paul. What if we started praying more fervently about the eyes of our hearts being opened. More fervently about what God really has for us. More fervently for our eternal soul than our temporal body. What would happen? What would God bless us with? You see, too many of us are like, a lady was labeled in 1916, America's greatest miser. Her name was Hattie Jones. When she died in 1916, she left behind a hundred million dollars. 1916, that was something. For most of us, it'd still be something today, right? A hundred million dollars. But the sad truth is she was so cheap and so stingy, she never enjoyed what she had. She ate cold oatmeal every day because she didn't want to pay the gas bill to warm her oatmeal. Her son literally had to have his leg amputated because she would not take him to the doctor because of the doctor's bill. She lived as a miser. She lived as a pauper when she was in rich in every way. She was wealthy, but she chose to live as if she were poor. She had it. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to you and I today. We're not talking about something you don't have. We're talking about all of these things you already have. But as a Christian, are you choosing to live like a pauper? Are you choosing to live poor? When all of these are yours. So it's not a matter this morning of us going out and trying to find something new we might find and not find. It's a matter of us opening our eyes to what we have in Christ and enjoying and employing it to the fullest. I love the song we're about to sing, Open the Eyes of My Heart. That is the, the meaning of this message. And this morning, if there's a gut feeling in you that there's got to be more and that you're missing out on everything Jesus has for you, 
I invite you to come. If today's the day you realize that you're not saved and you do want to go to heaven and today you'll be saved. But let me tell you, not only will you be saved, but you'll be blessed with a life now from here to there that will be a hundred times better than anything you could live on your own. If today you're tired of living like a miser when you're rich in Christ and you want God to open your hearts and open your mind to see it and you need some special prayers because prayer is the answer. Please come right now while we stand and sing.